FM Rewind, Bow eighty eight point one. Good morning, Sanisha. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Um, this is a conversation that has been going on for a while. I mean, even the president, when he got into power, said that he's appointing more women and more young people um, in cabinets. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, good morning, and thank you for inviting me to your show. I mean, I think it's, it, it, it's definitely something that needs to be audited in the context of, you know, is it enough to just say we're inviting more more women and uh, younger people into cabinet? But it has to be resonate with the kind of importance that they occupy in in cabinet and also the kind of responsibilities they take on. I think South Africa has done very well on the 50-50 percentage of gender um, um, uh, gender ratio in terms of women that are in cabinet. And of course, there's been a shift as well towards a younger kind of um, uh, age cohort of of ministers, not 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 actually um, overwhelming, but still, you know, they, you've got uh, the minister of justice. You've you've had uh, the previous uh, uh, the the Fakile Mbulula, who was the minister of transport, was now the secretary general in of the ANC. Then you have a younger set of female co- uh, ministers in the presidency, in human settlements, um, etc. But the problem with it is that it mustn't be just ticking a box. These are ministers that also have to make important decisions. They have to be much more aligned and um, understanding of where their portfolios are and also what their portfolios mean. And to be able to also uh, understand that the, that, that the upward mobility of their portfolios also means that they are bringing in not because of the party and because the party says it but because they're bringing in new people uh, and younger people because there's a genuine uh, energy that and vibrancy they bring in terms of meritocracy and I think that's the challenge with making statements like we're going to bring more younger people into cabinet, we're going to bring more women into cabinet. Um, It's not about just ticking a box. It's about understanding that you're putting them in portfolios that are going to be critical to how the, 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 the democratic governance and the architecture of statecraft happens whether it's economic statecraft, whether it's political statecraft. Um, and, and you have to be able to say that, you know, these are people that are going to basically set the tone for the next uh, leadership uh, generation. And the problem as well that we have in these uh, portfolios in, in government right now is that you do have sometimes um, very, very prominent uh, portfolios still being held by generally older males, uh, whether it's mineral resources, etc., and they should kind of see uh, women go into softer portfolios in government. So the problem we're also having is the age cohort, and some people tend to joke and say we have a geriatric cabinet at times, or we're having a geriatric democracy, because the bigger challenge is 
you know, do you, do you, how do you bring in a younger set of, 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 of people into cabinet, whether male or female? But you also have to realize that the older generation needs to step back and say, this is now their time and not continue to remain in, in political office because that's what it is that they want. Well, Sunisha, I hear exactly what she's saying, but it seems almost, and I could be wrong, but it seems almost as though the older generation feel it's their time as well as they have fought for the struggle. And that's what our country has been for the past 30 years. I mean, we've been reminded, or rather the party, um, we've been constantly reminded that the party is the party that freed us. But what happened with that freedom, looking at how things are going right now? No, you're very right, and that's what I was alluding to. I was alluding to the fact that there's a sense that, you know, a younger generation or younger cohort of politicians and policymakers and perhaps bureaucrats have to wait as well. I mean, you see this in terms of the relationship between Grady Mantasha as the national chairperson of the ANC and uh, the secretary general of of the ANC, Fakile Mbulula, where... There's a sense that, you know, this is still a young man and he still needs to learn his trade as the Secretary General. And I think because earlier this year, um, when Fakile Mbulula spoke about um, the ANC in Parliament um, and how they responded to uh, Jacob Zuma and so forth around the fire pool, and when the media had asked uh, Mr. Mantasha about that. He said he's still a young man, more or less. I'm paraphrasing it, but he said he's still a young man that he needs to learn how to deal with these things. So there's that level at which there's a sense of seniority, but also a sense of 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 using the uh, the 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 issue of age and rank and file as a way to try and say, well, you're coming to this moment, you're coming to this space, but you still have to be mentored by us, the older generation. And you're right in a sense where it does come across and interpreted by younger people that the older generation don't want to give up that space or there's a sense that you still have to, to to be mentored in that way. But I suspect that what's also problematic is the disconnection or the or the lack of connection between a younger generation and the older generation. And I think you're going to see it in this election, whether the older generation speak the language of the younger generation. You know, one of the things that's been very important to, to, to track in this election is the question of the youth, uh, the, the age cohort between 18 and 39, and, and you know, their registration to, 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 um, to vote in the, in the next election. And this looming election that we're going to have is critical because as you're looking at an older demographic profile and as you start looking at demographic of society, you're seeing that in Africa, generally speaking, not necessarily in Asia, in North America, in Europe, in, in those continents, you're seeing an older skewed demographics. Whereas in Africa, you're seeing a younger youth demographic. And that's going to be critical for how do you bring younger people into the political spectrum. You can't keep telling them to wait their turn. You can't keep telling them you still need to be mentored. And that's the problem with this idea of of having a geriatric cabinet uh, or disproportionately a geriatric cabinet. Because the younger people have may have more energy, more vibrancy, and want to see change happen in a much more pragmatic way. And so you, if you're holding on to this historical narrative and this historical past, 
then you're not necessarily giving them that opportunity to bring the kind of effervescent change that you want to see. Well, you know, I hear everything you're saying and you're making perfect sense. And you're also mentioning that they're going to speak um, on a more younger level or language. But my main question is, will it really help? I mean, considering the fact that young people would fight to get into parliament or to get into positions, making examples with your Sir Figilimbalulas and um, others as well. Um, you also find uh, the Minister of Small Business and Enterprise. She's also quite young. But... When a person is in power, do they consider the challenges that people that are not in parliament Mm -hmm. um, face? You know, it's almost as though they become comfortable when they get in power. They've got the stipends Mm. that they, I mean, the salaries that they have and also the subsidies. And then what? Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the system in itself. It's the way, you know, the idea of getting into power is not necessarily about the kind of theory of change that they want to bring. You know, going into politics, you've got to be, you've got to be hard-skinned, but you've got to be passionate and you've got to be basically saying that my role or my duty is not about myself, me, myself, and I. It's not about how I actually enrich myself, how do I actually manipulate the resources so that I and my networks and my family and my friends all get the contracts. It's about working for the people. Remember, democracy in its most basic form and its most most authentic form is democracy by the people, for the people, of the people. Now that's a very, that's the, that's the Greek definition of demos and, 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 and how it works. But the problem with it is that over time democracy has become, and democracy is not the problem. You know, there's a saying that democracy is a necessary condition, but sometimes not a sufficient condition. And I think this is where we are currently. We're in a state of democracy where democracy is interpreted as a Ponzi scheme, a rich, uh, a quick, rich scheme. How do I get rich fast? How do I access resources? And so going into politics, and if you if you're surveying young people, and your your radio station probably is, is, is speaks to young people all the time. Um, if you're listening to young people, they have very real issues that they want to see their societies, their communities, their environments change. But if you're going into politics with the sole purpose that it's about a material gain for yourself, then you should not go into politics. Go and try and do a Ponzi scheme somewhere else. Because your point about being a, a, a politician is not to serve yourself. It's to be a servant of the people. And I think those are the fundamental differences. So the question you should, we should also be interrogating uh, in the weeks to come is very, very importantly, we talk about bringing young people into the democracy, bringing young people into public office, bringing young people to represent that change and to have that change. But politics is not an employment opportunity. It's not about how do I get rich? How do I get employed? I need to go into politics because the problem is people are looking and younger generations are looking at politics not as the kind of civic duty that you have, that you, you know, it's, it's, it's about basically saying um, 
I serve the people. I'm a bureaucrat of the people. I'm democracy for, of, and by the people. The problem with democracy, and it's not just in South Africa, it's the world over, is that democracy becomes a transactional issue. Mm. It is about, let me go into politics because it's more economically transactional for me, and it's about my economic agency, as opposed to being about the civic duty of serving society. And that's completely incorrect. So when, when I teach my young students about politics 101, the first thing I say to them is, remember, you're, you are put there not by yourself. You are accountable to the electorate. And the electorate pays your salary. You don't get salary. The state does not get money out of thin air or out of a money fee that sits outside the, the, the union buildings or wherever. But it is the taxes of people and ordinary South Africans that pay your salary. So your accountability in politics, in going into politics, in wanting to be a public servant and wanting to serve the electorate and the citizenry comes back to your social contract between state and society. Well, Sanusha, everything you're saying we were taught um, in school, but on paper, yes, the democracy is um, the people by the people. However, practically, it is something else. And I wish that we had more people who would encourage um, who would encourage our politicians to, rem- to know and remember that it's not about them. It's not about their personal gain. It's not about the corruptions that go on, but about the people as well. Absolutely. And just to end on this point, I think the challenge is that we've lost the value uh, proposition of what democracy is. I mean, what we, what we have to start thinking about is the fact of the matter is that we've become so materialistically inclined. And that's because democracies are t- tend to be defined in that way. You know, is it a liberal democracy? And I was speaking to, you know, uh, a few other uh, uh, media houses earlier this morning, and the problem we're going to have is that people have been told that this is where you go to make money. If you get a, a, a position in government, and if you are just, and then you, this is where you make money. And I think that has become so sad and it's become so emotionally draining because you forgot what your principal stance and principal values are. So I think what, is, what we have to start thinking about is how do we move away from that transactional interpretation of democracy, which is more transactional value, and how do we actually reinstate those, that, that, that passion for people to say that, this is my calling in life. I'm here to serve. Um, it happens in every profession. I mean, I have uh, you know uh, uh, family members of mine who left school or in their university uh, degrees, and they say, "I want to choose a degree that makes me money." And I look at them and I think, "Well, first you've got to be good at what you do, and you have to basically have passion for what you do, and you got you don't go into a profession because the first thing you're seeing are the rand signs and the and the dollar signs." And that's what people have done because the world, the, 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 the architecture of the global international system and the way in which it has permeated our societies is that everything is about to get rich is glorious. Well, Sanusha, I have a suggestion. How about we have a short course for the people in power just to give them fundamentals and basics of ruling? Um, <laughs> we try. We do that. We do have fundamental courses for them. Um, but the most important thing is when they do the courses as well, some of them will say, I'm too poor to go on a tenure subsidy. Oh, and wow. I'm like, hang on. You guys do earn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, well, we'll have to see what happens. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us, Sanusha. 
Welcome, thank you, and have a great day. Sanisha Naidu, polit- um, a political analyst as well as an author, and uh, she is based in Cape Town, by the way. FM Rewind, Baal 88.1, area code every weekday from 9 to 12 p.m. on Vow FM 88.1.